Man, I love that. That's a good, good stuff. We think about the, the cross. We think about the, the care and compassion of Jesus exemplified for each of us when we were absolutely and completely undeserving and unworthy. When we really think about even our life as believers, you, you've heard it said before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's, that's truth. And Jesus not only showed what he knew coming from the Father, but he showed that he cared by going to the cross. Last week, as we had our missionaries here, I, I appreciate the, the care and compassion that was shown and the generosity that was shown to the missionaries that were here. Many of you, your classes uh, took up an offering for them and loved on them and took them to meals and prayed over them. There, there's a heart that we have for the world and for those who are sharing the gospel with the world. You know, believe it or not, this week we come to the end of October. It is hard to believe how fast this year has gone. But as I scan back and look at our October calendar, I, I think of the times that our church had the opportunity to show care and compassion. Now, we have that opportunity every day. But but certain events themselves, as we fed 60-plus families and brought and, and, and uh, had groceries uh, for the week of fall break for those who came to the Cube through Connect Ministry, and every Friday as backpacks come home with food, which give a picture of care and compassion... As we uh, just had our, our time with the, the missionaries and spent time with them. And, and they left, listen, not only feeling like they had shared with us, but feeling like they were blessed by us. And that's the picture of care and compassion. Tonight, we have the opportunity to trunk, through Trunk or Treat to show care and compassion. As we, as we have gathered together on Sunday nights to pray for different areas of ministry, it's a, it's a picture of care. As we step into 2020, there are going to be two words that you're going to hear a lot. And that really is our staff has come together. We're, we're picking up a theme for, for 2020. And that theme is we care. And the reason that we care is because Jesus cares. So that we care about the things that Jesus cares about. We care about the scripture and our walk with God. And we care about people. And sometimes when life gets challenging and life gets difficult, it is easy for us to pull back and only think about ourselves. In the first century, as believers were facing persecution and difficulty... They were being fired from their jobs and they were being martyred for their faith. It would have been easy to pull back and say, you know what? We've just got to circle the wagons here and take care of us. And Peter comes back and says, let me tell you something different. I'm calling you to be people of compassion. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 8 today. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. 
Be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Four, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? And would you challenge us, Lord, after just uh, being uh, challenged with a mission to, to go and with that heart of missions to, to be uh, active in sharing the gospel, Lord, help us to follow that up through a heart of compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. If I looked every one of you in the face that were over 40 years old, and I asked you this question. Has our country changed at all since you were a child? I think all of us would readily agree that it has. And today, probably we haven't had this sense of division in our country since the Civil War itself. A world of polarizing politics a world of rude uh, that has gone rampant, a rudeness that has gone rampant, and we see all of this going on around us, and we see uh, the, the disdain for people and the hatred that's shown for others, and people who used to be able to disagree and still be friends, now you can't even disagree with anyone anymore without being a hater or being against someone or being a bigot or being evil. It's a different world. Peter lived in a different world in which we did. He lived in a different world than, than, than we do today. And he lived in a world that was filled with the challenge that many of us are living with. The challenge of standing for Jesus and facing ridicule or persecution or hatred. That's why he wrote this book. He wrote them to remind them of the hope that they have despite the circumstances that are around us. And Peter, you might think, would say, okay, listen, we're going to pull back. We're all going to gather in a Christian huddle so that we can all be together and be nice to each other. And instead, Peter says, look, I want you to live with a bold compassion in the world that's around you, even to the people that dislike you. And as we move through the rest of 1 Peter, we're going to see he has some awesome things to say about how we're to behave when we suffer for doing right. (laughs) But here, as we look at this passage, Peter calls us to live with compassion in the church, in the world. And why do we live with compassion? We live with compassion because we live for the Lord. So first, let's think about this. We are challenged to live with compassion in the church. Now notice how he starts verse number eight, the word finally. (laughs) You would think if he's going to use the word finally, that would mean like this is, you know, kind of the last point. And yet he's going to go on through 
the end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. So the word finally doesn't mean like, oh, this is the ending, the conclusion. It means this is a summary. I've talked to you who were citizens and told you to live as good citizens in the government. I've talked to you who uh, are servants and to live as good servants to your masters. I've talked to you as wives and told you how to live. And I've talked to you as husbands and told you how to live. And now let me summarize all of this up and let me tell you how you are to live. And the first thing he says is that you're to live in unity. You're to be united. Notice what he says in verse number eight, that we are to be of the same mind. Notice, finally, all of you be of one mind. Now, being of one mind doesn't mean that we all have to agree on everything all of the time. It doesn't mean that... that that every aspect of every ministry is something that you would say, I would do it exactly that way. The picture of unity is, is that on the major things of life and scripture as we live in the church, we are in agreement. We know what the great commandment is. We sang it this morning. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So as we look at our church, our call is to love God. That's, that's on every one of our doors as you walk into your Bible study class. It says, love God. Then it says, love others. Love others. That we're not only to love God with all of our heart, but we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love others. We agree on that. Then we, as a church, have adopted this thought that we need to share Jesus. That's why we have missions conferences. That's why we do outreach events, because we believe that we're to share Jesus. Mark 16 tells us that we're to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 tells us that that the, the disciples there were to wait until the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and then they were to be witnesses to the world. We are to share Jesus, and we are to make disciples. The great commandment is to go into all the world and make disciples. So, as we think about our church, church and what we would say, hey, this is our purpose. We love God. We love others. We share Jesus. We make disciples. That's the heart of what we do. Now, we may not always agree on how that's done, but we do agree that that's what the Bible tells us needs to be done. So there's unity in that. I don't know about you, but this morning is as the choir and orchestra were singing, could you imagine if some of them said, you know what, instead of singing love the Lord your God with all your heart, we're just going to go ahead and start playing blessed assurance. And so the the choir uh, sings love the Lord your God with all your heart and the orchestra begins to play blessed assurance. Can I tell you, that would have been absolute chaos. So that the unity comes... When we all do our part in sync with each other, we don't all have the same part. Sometimes we all are in unison. We all have the same part. Sometimes there's melody and harmony. Sometimes there's soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Sometimes there's soprano one and soprano two and alto and tenor one and tenor two and bass. So sometimes we have all of these different things going on at the same time, but they're all to be together working in tandem and we are called to love God, love others, share Jesus, make disciples. That's where our unity comes from because that comes from here. Now, he says, I want you to be of the same mind. And then he tells them that he wants them to show 
compassion. Notice with me, having compassion for one another. Now notice in verse number eight, he says, all of you, he's talking to those believers in the church at that time. And he says, I want you to have compassion for one another. The picture is, is that there is to be a sympathetic heart toward each other so that when others weep, we weep. That when others are hurting, we care. That when others experience grief, we sorrow with them. That's the picture of having compassion. So that Jesus would look out and have compassion on those that were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the picture of compassion. And that's why Jesus came. He knew that without him, we would be absolutely lost. And so out of his love and compassion, he came. And he's saying, look, all of you in the church... Have this same kind of mind to have compassion, to show care and concern for one another. Be careful lest the culture in which we live in spill over into the church and we become hard and cynical to the needs of people that are around us. He says that we're to be united. We're to have compassion. Then he tells us that we're to love. Notice what he says, uh, that we are to love as brothers. Brotherly love is sincere. It is not hypocritical. It is genuine. It's real. I have a brother in heaven. I have two brothers here on earth. One of my brothers uh, works for the Missouri Baptist Convention, my brother Chris. And he stopped by uh, for a little bit on Thursday and just sharing me, sharing with me what's going on in the world of church planting and church plants that are going on and guys that are getting prepared to be church planters and church revitalizers and helping with pastors and sharing what, what we're doing and how our mission conference went and, and, Man, I, I love my brother, and it is absolutely real. There's nothing hypocritical about the love uh, that I feel for him. And he says, we should have that kind of love in the church as well. You're to love his brothers with sincerity. No hypocrisy, no putting on the face. Make it real, make it genuine. So that in John 13, Jesus would say that, that they'll know you're my disciples, not by how much you know but by the love that you have for one another. Then notice what he says. Verse number eight, be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. The picture is, is that we're to have a soft heart toward the needs of others. Again, it's easy to point fingers and say, well, if they would have, they should have. And instead, the Lord says, keep your heart tender with persecution around them, with hardship in their life that they were facing, it's often hard to get, it's it's easy to get our hard heart to say, we're only going to meet needs within us. And he's saying, look, I want you to reach out with a tender heart. (laughs) In the Roman Empire, a tender heart was not what people were striving for. We want to be hard We want to be vicious. We want to be victorious. We don't mind stepping on somebody to move up the ladder, to make our esteem better, to get more money. We don't mind ripping somebody off. And yet Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it is in the church. You're to be tenderhearted. And then he says to be courteous. That is that we're to be humble. 
being courteous means that we're going to put others in front of us, that we're going to be low, uh, lowly in our mind, in our own, not that we have poor self-esteem, but that we're going to put others before we put ourselves. That's the attitude that we as believers, this is how you're supposed to act toward each other. We come across with a, a humble heart, a tender heart, filled with compassion, showing kindness and love. That's the way church should be. That's the way church should be. And I'm so thankful for the graciousness and the love that our church constantly shows and reminds us of through big and small acts, through anonymous things that are done. Recently, a young couple was talking with me and uh, their guests, and they uh, were coming together, their boyfriend, girlfriend, I, I think they're going to get married. They're coming up on their one-year anniversary, and I just mentioned it to somebody that they, they didn't have any, even any money. They're both in school. They didn't have any money to go out for their one-year anniversary, and just was small talk, making quick statement, ran down the hall, and then someone gives a gift card for them to go to Applebee's. And I think they don't want their name known. They just want to be gracious to a visiting young couple. That's the picture of how we're to live with compassion in the church. But not only is that compassion to be in the church, but that compassion then is to spill over out of the four walls to touch the world. Because we see a stark contrast rises up in verse number nine. Notice with me in verse number nine. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Here we have moved from living with compassion in the church to living with compassion in the world. Because there in the world as they were facing people, there was the reviling, there was the evil that was coming toward them. So the challenge is, is yes, we live with this compassion in the church. Yes, we show this love in the church, but it has to spill out. It has to go into the world. So we live with this compassion in the world. Notice what it says in verse number nine. Hey, we're not returning this evil. We're not, we're not returning reviling. Instead, we're going to show compassion. A couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, our ladies from Connect were sitting in chairs right up here and Jerry was doing an interview with them. And one of the ladies, Elaine West, was talking about why Connect Ministries and why giving food to families that are needy in our community is so important to her. And I asked her, could I share that on Sunday morning? She grew up in the Northeast. She was allowed to attend the Catholic school out of a benevolent cause. Her family couldn't afford it. But she said there were many days I went to school without breakfast And when all the other kids broke out their lunch, she said, many days, I had nothing. And then she shared how some of the nuns were kind to her, how some others were kind to her. But she said, I just felt that down deep in my heart that I really didn't belong. And that compassion motivates her today to say, look, I can get involved in a ministry that's going to touch and impact people's lives through providing food. 
That's what it's all about in that sense of living with compassion. That no matter what's going on in the world, we're going to show kindness anyway. Now notice there are some attitudes that we are to reject. These attitudes that we are to reject are returning evil for evil and reviling for reviling. As we look at verse number 9, I mean, we get this picture. This is not just made up stuff. That, that this is real, that these people were facing difficulty and that they were supposed to reject retaliation. That if someone's mean to you, you don't kick them back. If someone's persecuting you because of your faith, you don't return the hatred. Don't do it. If someone does good for someone and they return evil, They show a sinful and selfish nature. If someone does good for someone who only does good for them, then that really is kind of a natural process. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But when someone does evil to me and I return blessing, that shows something supernatural. So we move from being, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not just going to live in this natural, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But you poke my eye, I'm poking your eye even harder. The picture is, is that in return for the evil, in return for the reviling, we instead give blessing. (laughs) Big words. Big challenge. But we have a big God and a powerful spirit that lives in us that gives us the capacity to do anything that God tells us to do. That's the work of the spirit in our life so that we can come to that place of returning good even for evil. So there's some attitudes to reject, but there are some attitudes to embrace. Notice what he says, the attitudes to embrace. Verse number nine, instead of returning evil for evil and reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Slide on down to verse number 10. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Now, Peter jumps into Psalm 34. Psalm 34 was one that David wrote quite possibly after uh, he kind of pretended like he was insane so that he would not be uh, uh, killed after uh, running from, uh, I believe it was Abimelech. So, So we get this picture here of David in Psalm 34, and he says, look, If you're really going to love life and you're really going to enjoy it, you're not going to be a mean, angry, resentful person. Instead, you're going to be someone who does good. If your life is all about revenge and you're just waiting for that moment to get somebody back who hurts you, If your life is just about retaliation and and taking that opportunity that lays before you so that you can hurt someone who hurts you, can I tell you, you're not going to love life. You're not going to experience the joy of life. Instead, 
He says, if you're going to really love life and live out with passion the life that God has for you, there will not be the holding on of resentment. There will be forgiveness. There will be kindness. There will be doing good. Because God did not make you as a believer to be one who holds on to an unforgiving spirit. One who holds on to a sense of resentment with a desire for retaliation. That brings the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That brings the grieving of the person of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we will not experience the fullness that God has for us while we hold on to that. But he says, look, there's some things you've got to let go of. And you need to embrace seeking to be a blessing to others. And you need to seek doing good to others. And then notice what he says. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And then verse number 11. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seeking peace. Doing good. Seeking peace. It's Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Rosalie Butterfield had a very low view of evangelical Christians coming and writing from an LGBT perspective. She wrote a... uh, very scathing letter in her local paper about what she thought of the unthinking, unkind, evangelical Christians that she knew. And as she wrote that editorial, she said she got two kinds of mail. She got fan mail from those who had the same kind of sentiment. And she got hate mail, but she said she got one two-page letter from a local pastor that was filled with warmth and kindness, asked lots of questions, though he disagreed with her. She didn't know where to put it. It couldn't go in the fan mail. She couldn't put it in the hate mail. So she said it sat on her desk days. She didn't know what to do with it. What do I do with this? Someone showing kindness? Someone showing love? So she wrote this pastor. And the pastor and his wife began to befriend her. And just through acts of kindness and love, she came to know Jesus. It wasn't that somebody had all the arguments to win. It wasn't that somebody just capitulated to give in and compromise scripture. It was that somebody showed compassion and the love of Christ enough to care. And as Ephesians chapter 4 says, to speak the truth in love. That's what our calling is. We live with compassion in the church. We live with compassion in the world. But thirdly, we live with compassion for the Lord. We live with compassion for the Lord. 
It is not that we have to work up compassion in our heart and life. It is not that I have to come to this place in my life that say, man, I've, I've, I've got to do this to earn something in front of God. No, I tap into the resources that he's given me and I want to live for him in such a way that he gets the honor and glory in my life and through my life as the fruit of the spirit flows right out of me into the church and into the world. Notice with me in, in scripture, notice verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What's the motivation for us to show compassion? Peter has told us that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. Peter has told us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And out of what he's done for us and how he's worked in us, we want to show that love For him to others. For him. Because his eyes are watching. His ears are listening. I have to admit last night as I was just going over my notes again. I was reminded of sitting in a Sunday night service where a missionary was speaking and November of 2011. And as this missionary was speaking, I'll be honest with you, I can't even remember his name right now. I couldn't remember it last night. And as I'm listening to this missionary speak, he lays out this story about a man who either went, he went to the Far East, either Japan or China, and things in his life were not going well as he was seeking to be on mission with God. He... He, he went there feeling, you know, God, you've called me to go to the Far East, and here I am, and now, Lord, nothing's working right. I mean, my finances and things getting set up, nothing's going right. Transportation, housing, it's all just a big mess. And he's pouring out his heart to the Lord, and then he finally says it, and Lord, I don't even love these people. And he says, it was as if the Holy Spirit spoke and said, you're not here because you love them. You're here because I do. I sat in the second row right here where you were sitting, Clovis. And at that moment, after already having met with the pastor search team here, And already saying, I just don't have peace. I'm not ready to make that decision. I felt, boom, buddy, St. Charles. That, to me, was a major step in that call on my life here. We don't go because... We feel that affection. 
We go because he does. And he calls us where he wants us to be. So, let's be reminded. God may call you to do something difficult for someone you don't like. (laughs) And he has the right. We just heard that last week when Russ talked about Jonah. He has the right to do that. And he calls us to go or get swallowed. So the challenge for us is to recognize that we're to live with compassion for the Lord and to notice that God sees it all. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God is not just seeing us. The picture is is that his watchful eye is over us. And then he tells us, and God's going to hear you as you go. I find it interesting because two weeks ago on uh, on Sunday morning, when we looked at the call of the, the husband in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, where a husband, remember that last phrase, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't treat his wife right, do you remember what it says? Your prayers will be hindered. Ladies, you reminded your husband of that lately? Hey, you going to have a relationship with God? You better be nicer. The, the picture is, is you husbands, you're to treat your wives in, in, in this manner or If you don't treat them right, then I'm going to close my ears to your request. And then he says, but as you live for compassion in the world and you live on mission with me in the world and you love life and you have a zest and a passion for me in life and you live it out, I'm not only going to watch you, but I'm going to have my ears open all the time. And then here's the kicker at the end. God not only sees and God not only hears, but God is going to be the judge. God judges you don't have to worry about seeking to, to be the judge and the jury on people and how they receive you and how they receive me. We go and we do what the Lord calls us to. And we recognize that verse number 12 tells us that the face of the Lord is going to be against those who do evil. As I think of that picture of compassion, I was reminded of just the stories and highlights of Jesus. That Jesus would go up and Touch the untouchable, a leper, and he would be healed. That Jesus would speak to the unspeakable, a woman at the well, married five times, living with a man who's not her husband. And for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan was one thing. For a Jew to speak to a Samaritan woman was something even far greater. But for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was now living with a man, Jesus has just broken all of the legalistic code of that day, but he did it out of compassion, out of love. And guess what? He calls us today. to go in love and to show compassion to the world. It starts right here in our walls and it spills out into the world for him, for him, for him, for him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to ask you today, 
Are you living with compassion? Boy, it is easy to grow cynical in this political environment in which we live. It is easy to grow cynical as we see sin seemingly to, seeming to prevail around us. But God calls us to live with compassion. So I want to challenge you today and ask you, are you showing compassion? Are you living with compassion? In your church, are you holding on to anger or resentment with another brother or sister? In the world, are you showing love and kindness to people who may disagree with you? What about that good reminder that we're not doing it for him or for her? We're doing it for Jesus. Is God speaking to you today? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would be people who care and that we would show compassion in the church, that we would show compassion in the world, but most of all, that we would show compassion because we've received compassion. We've received your love. Help us to show it and to shine it in this world. In your name, amen.